Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 399th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, wherever you are, whoever you may be listening, thank you for making me and this show part of your day. As always, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast and Apple platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Gonna have a great podcast for all you guys. Gonna have Robert Guerrera on the show, uh, NFL podcast host for SBN Nation NFL and Niners Nation. I talk a lot with Rob about uh, the San Francisco 49ers at large from Kyle Shanahan to the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance uh, news that's been percolating. Also, in the second half of the pod, I have Mr. Zach on, a.k.a. Zach Williford, to talk some NBA. We talk about which NBA players on the All-NBA 75 team list should have made the cut. Players who did not make that 75-man uh, list for the best basketball players ever who should have made the cut. And we also talk about James Harden and how he's looked so far his first few games as a Philadelphia 76er. So, got a lot of great stuff there. Now, before we get into both those conversations, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First-time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, you can click on the timestamp, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane, and you will find it. And lastly... If you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't worry. Just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It could up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Rob on talk about some San Francisco 49ers. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, we have a very special guest with us, Rob Guerrera, SBN Nation NFL podcast host and of Niners Nation. How you doing, man? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing fabulous as well. Uh, so first, I want to ask you this. So there are reports coming out that apparently the Niners are a little hesitant about trading Jimmy G because Trey Lance isn't ready. So my question for you is, when will Trey Lance be ready? Well, first of all, here's the thing you have to realize. Once the season ends, we officially enter the season of lying, okay? You basically can't trust a word that comes out of anybody's mouth from after the Super Bowl until after the draft because it's all about posturing. It's all about trying to get leverage. So what the 49ers are trying to do is they're trying to create a market for Jimmy Garoppolo by fooling teams, essentially, into thinking that, well, Trey's not that good, 
and we may hang on to Jimmy, which is, of course, ridiculous because the 49ers need the $25 million in cap room that they'll save by trading Jimmy Garoppolo. So they're not going to fool anybody, but that's what they're trying to do. So there's no shot that Jimmy G's on the roster to begin the season. No shot. Zero chance. They can't. The way their team is structured, they need that money. They're $4 million over the cap right now as we as we record this. And they need to pay Evil Samuel, and they need to pay Nick Bosa. And John Lynch himself said, we've already budgeted for those contracts. Yeah, they have, because they're counting on $25 million extra million from trading Jimmy Garoppolo. So... Then I'll ask you. Let me ask you this question. So, do you think Jimmy G is? I mean, excuse me, Trey Lance. Do you think Trey Lance is ready to go right now? Hundred percent. I think he's ready to go. I think we saw him get better as he played the ten quarters that he played this season. And also, don't forget, you've got people like Fred Warner saying Trey's dicing us up in practice. Fred Warner said that during the year without being asked about it. He just offered that up. Same thing with Jimmy Ward, the Forty Nine ers safety. You know, those guys don't, they're not worried about leverage or anything like that. So for them to drop that in, I think, means a lot. And there's going to be some bumps, for sure. Like, he's not going to be perfect. You know, he's going to make dumb mistakes. But the hope is that with those dumb mistakes, by the way, the same dumb mistakes that Jimmy Garoppolo makes, you also get high-end, explosive, big-time plays. That's something that Jimmy Garoppolo does not get you. And I think, ultimately... That's what Kyle Shanahan and the Niners were after when they made the trade up to three to take Trey Lance. So do you think Trey could have started this year instead of Jimmy? And San Francisco would have been relatively fine? Um, I mean, it probably would have been rockier. You know, it wouldn't have been as pretty. It would have been more kind of helter-skelter like the Niners, you know, go three and out on a bunch of possessions but then also get like a 40 or 60-yard touchdown on a few. I think Trey definitely benefited from the time on the bench. Like Kyle even mentioned, he had never taken a seven-step drop before in his life. So there are some fundamental things he needed to work on. But for now, like, there's no other option. Jimmy's got to go, and Trey's got to be ready, whether he is or not. What do you think the gap between those two guys are? Like, who do you think is better right now today? I think ultimately... Trey Lance is better only because he offers those big-time plays. Jimmy Garoppolo just doesn't. And and the the frustrating thing about Garoppolo is not only does he not offer those big-time plays, but for a guy who makes mostly conservative throws, he still turns the ball over a lot. And that's the thing that drives you nuts. You can live with turnovers if you're also getting a ton of touchdowns and big explosive plays. But if you're not getting those and you're still giving the ball away, you're doing nothing except making it harder for your team to win. So it's not going to look as pretty with Trey. It's not always going to be on schedule. He might be running around out there and kind of, you know, playing backyard ball a little bit. But I think ultimately the difference is going to be, can the offense scare people with Trey Lance? And it didn't with Jimmy Garoppolo. But when you say that, then what makes a team want to say, hey, I want Jimmy Garoppolo, then they end up in the same situation that the Niners are where they're like, we need somebody who can take us to the next level? I don't know, honestly. But here's what I would say. If I was going to sell Jimmy Garoppolo specifically to a team, let's say like the Steelers, and I think if you're going to trade for Jimmy, you have to look at specific teams. But the Steelers, to me, I would say, look, you have a championship-level defense already. P.J. Watt is incredible. 
you have playmakers on offense, just like the 49ers do. You have Chase Claypool. You have Deontay Johnson. You have Najee Harris. There are guys there that can do special things with the ball in their hand. Jimmy Garoppolo is the perfect quarterback for you because you've already seen him succeed in that exact situation, right? He's gotten to a Super Bowl. He's gotten to another NFC title game. The players in the locker room love this guy to a man. They respect him. They play for him. You never have to worry about Jimmy Garoppolo off the field, which is not something the Steelers can say about Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> when he was there. So I think in the right situation, there is a sales job, a pitch that you can make for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, does that mean you're getting the 20th overall pick in the draft? Hell no. But you'll get something back for him, and that's the key. The key is not let's get as much as we can back from Jimmy Garoppolo and not trade him unless we get a second-round pick. The value for the 49ers is in making the deal, not necessarily in what you get back for it. Because you get the cap room, like I mentioned, and you end this whole dance, this whole split locker room, Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, all the questions, all the controversy, all that disappears. There's value in that, I think, if you're the 49ers. Now, you you mentioned there is no chance that anything Jimmy could have done to, that the 49ers, they want to get rid of Jimmy G. You've mentioned that. But let's say in a hypothetical world, the 49ers have won the Super Bowl. Would they still have the same mindset, you think? Or do you think there's nothing think, Jimmy Garoppolo could have done? I think they should have the same mindset. Nothing changes, right? Like, you still owe $25 million. They still have to pay all those other people. He still doesn't provide you with the big-time plays, right? Just because they won two more games, essentially shouldn't change your mindset. Like, Jimmy is who he is. They only had, before the Rams game, they only had two offensive touchdown drives in the playoffs. In the entire playoffs. And one of those, by the way, was a 26-yard touchdown run from Debo Samuel that was a one-play drive. So it's not even like Jimmy Garoppolo was, was pulling a Joe Flacco, right, in 2012 when Joe Flacco went nuts in the playoffs and threw 11 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Jimmy wasn't even doing that. He was along for the ride in the playoffs. So even if they had won two more games, I don't think they should have kept him. Now, granted, from a public perception standpoint, it would have been tougher, but the smart decision would have been to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo even if they won the Super Bowl because, like I said with Joe Flacco, look at what happened to the Ravens after that. They paid Joe Flacco a huge amount of money. He was never anywhere close to that good again. And the Ravens ended up being basically a 500 team in the rest of the Joe Flacco era because he just happened to have a, an incredible hot streak and play out of his mind. But that's not who he was as a player. When do you think the 49ers made the decision, and this goes back to last year, Jimmy Garoppolo can't take us where we need to go. We need to get a quarterback, whether it was Trey Lance or somebody else. When do you think that decision was made? When Jimmy Garoppolo started getting hurt, 2020, because there, there was it was a double whammy with Jimmy. It was not only is he physically limited, is there a ceiling on how far we can go with him, but it's also he can't even stay on the field for every game. So that combination of those two things, they just couldn't go through another season of seven or eight or ten games of Jimmy plus the backup quarterbacks. Like the, the 49ers know that they are in a window right now where they can contend for a Super Bowl title. They can't keep wasting those years on a guy who's not physically that good and who can't stay in the lineup. They just could not continue to do it. They had to maximize their chances of winning a Super Bowl in this window. So I think in 2020 they were like, all right, he he stayed healthy in 2019. That was obviously a fluke. Enough of this guy. we got to move on. 
Do you think it was more of the physical ability or the injury history? Um, I probably honestly would tell you 50-50. Uh, I, I think that if he could consistently stay healthy for every game, I think the decision would be a lot harder. But I think also just like, especially like, look at the Super Bowl. What happened in that Super Bowl? Mahomes just went God mode and there was nothing the 49ers can do. And Jimmy Garoppolo, not only could he got, not go God mode, he couldn't even complete a pass for a first down in the second half of that fourth quarter. So I think it was a both a combination of health and physical limitation, 50-50. Who do you think, who made the, who was the ultimate decision maker and specifically Trey Lance? Like why Trey Lance instead? Because I think at first when they moved up, the three people were saying Mac Jones. I think there are people, some people said Justin Fields. Why Trey Lance and who was the final trigger man? Was it Kyle Shanahan? Was it Lynch? Make no mistake about it. No matter what the 49ers tell you, everything in that organization runs through Kyle Shanahan. He is the grand poobah of the 49ers. John Lynch called up Kyle Shanahan and was like, hey, can I be your GM? That's literally how it happened. And we know that because John Lynch had said this. Kyle Shanahan runs the show there. So he's the one ultimately that picked Trey Lance. He's ultimately the one responsible for everything with San Francisco. Now, as to why they picked Lance, it's hard to know for sure. I think a couple of things. I think they liked that he was under center a lot in college, which is something that the 49ers like to do. And supposedly, Lance is very, very intelligent. And Kyle runs a very complicated system. It takes time to learn. And I know that one of the things that they were impressed with with Trey Lance this year was how quickly he picked up the system. It's a very complicated thing to do. It took Matt Ryan two years. Supposedly, Lance had most of it down by the time they came back from training camp, which is damn impressive. So I think if I had to pick something that put Lance over the top with the other guys, it might have been that. So when so there's no so you think it was Kyle Shannon who identified Trey Lance from the beginning? I, I guess that's more what I'm asking you. Or do you think maybe because John Lynch could have been like, "Hey, I like this guy. Obviously, you're the final decision maker." But what do you think? And then Kyle's like, "Okay." Or do you think Kyle was like all in, like, "We need this specific guy. I really like this guy." Uh, I'm not sure, like, who was the first person on the train. I mean, obviously, everybody knows the prospects that are available, right? So I'm sure Kyle was aware that Trey Lance was available, but it might have been. They may have split him up, right? I'm not even sure. Like maybe they said, all right, Kyle, you first start looking at Mac Jones and John Lynch. You first start looking at Justin Fields and Adam Peters, the assistant GM. Maybe you look at Trey Lance first. And then after they look at the tape, maybe Peters is like, hey, Kyle, you got to check out this guy. You know, I don't know who was on the train first, but I know that once Kyle Shanahan got on the train, that's the only track they were going. If Trey Lance, let's say he doesn't work out, how does that, like, who, obviously Kyle Shannon gets most of the blame, but do you think that would affect his job security at all? At all? Because a lot of times when these quarterbacks, when you trade up, you draft the quarterback high, a lot of the times somebody gets fired for this. Yeah, oh no, if it doesn't work out, it's on Kyle, 100%. Um, now, John Lynch may sort of be a sacrificial lamb at first, but ultimately if Trey doesn't work out, it's on Kyle Shanahan. He picked him. That's the guy that he, you know, moved heaven and earth, made one of the biggest trades in franchise history to go and get. So it's Kyle's career, not career, I shouldn't say that. Kyle's coaching tenure in San Francisco is definitely a stake. Do you, th now, there were some people who were saying potentially that Tom Brady could go to San Francisco. Obviously, since you mentioned that they're all in on Trey Lance, but when you hear that, what do you think of? 
I think he wanted to a couple of years ago, and I think the 49ers said no. Um, I think that that ship has kind of sailed now. You know, um, Brady is, I think he's a little sour on it still. I think that Brady's family situation has changed. I think that basically he kind of got to the end of the rope there, and I think Giselle who clearly had wanted him to retire before he even went to Tampa Bay. I think she just got to the point where she was like, dude, enough. You even went to another team. You won a Super Bowl with another team. You tried to run it back there. It didn't work out. Enough is enough. So even if Tom necessarily thinks he can still play, which I think he does, I just think that the the window for that opportunity has closed. Do you think he will actually, quick question on Brady, do you think Brady would ever come back, or do you think he's done? Uh, I can't rule it out at this point, because if you notice in the retirement uh, tweet or statement or whatever you want to call it, he never used the word retirement. He never said, like, I've given all I can give to the game. His exact words were something like, I choose not to make the professional commitment, which basically means he knows he can still do it if he dedicates 100% of his life to being a good quarterback. But if he's not going to do that, he can't be a good quarterback at this age, and so he's choosing not to do it. But I think if he were to, like, ramp it up again, I think he thinks that he'd be just as good. I mean, he led the NFL in touchdown passes and yards this year. And I want your opinion on this, because I always thought about this when he announced that he, he was going to retire. He said, like, one time, I think it was on a podcast or something like that, he was like, well, you can never say never. You can't rule anything out. But it's kind of like when somebody knows that there's something that there's no shot, they say no. Like, if you ask Brady, are you going to go back to New England? He'd probably say no. Like, there are some things that are just no, and then when you say when you leave things up to interpretation, you're like, ah, never say never. Who knows? That means there's a little part of him that, you know could potentially be interested if everything works out and there's maybe an alternate scenario, right? 100%. There are some questions where there's only one answer, right? Will you marry me? Anything other than yes is no. There's <laughs> only one answer to that question that you want to hear. And I agree with you. If you could ask something and the answer is no, you just say no. You don't throw out this word salad that kind of means no. You just say no. Like if they asked him, hey, Tom, do you love Giselle? He would say, yes. <laughs> it wouldn't be like, well, we have to see how things go when I'm back in the house. Like, you know. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, I agree with you that what people say and more specifically how they say it can tell you a lot. Why do you think that San Francisco ultimately decided not to go with Brady? Um, well, as the story goes, what's been reported is that Kyle Shanahan had everybody huddle up and look at the film, and they decided that there wasn't that much difference between Brady and Garoppolo. Um, I think that it was a combination of things. I think that it was, do we really want to bet on this mid-40s quarterback to come back you know, and continue to be this good, to do something that no quarterback has ever done in the history of the league? Are we, are we going to do this the year after Jimmy Garoppolo finally stays healthy and takes us to a Super Bowl? Like, I think that they kind of played the percentages and said, like, chances are Brady's going to fall off and Garoppolo will be around what he was this year. And so I think they played the percentages on that one. And Brady just quite simply is a unicorn and has been the outlier for his entire career and continues to be. So let's say, because obviously this is coming off the Super Bowl uh, season when they got there and they lost to the Chiefs. Let's say this was coming off that 2020 year where Jimmy was hurt, they underperformed. 
and then Brady's a free agent. Do you think that conversation is different? 100%. Absolutely. You've got new information at that point, right? If, the, if you told the 49ers after they lost to the Chiefs, hey, Jimmy's going to be just as bad as he was, and he's going to get hurt again next year, they wouldn't stick with him. They would get rid of him. But obviously they didn't know that at the time until they, they bet on Jimmy and they were wrong to do that. But if they had had that information, I think, yeah, in 2020, it absolutely would have been a different outcome. So, what makes Kyle Shanahan special as a head coach and an offensive mind? As a head coach, I don't know that he's particularly special, to be honest with you. I have a lot of issues with his roster management and his game management, going forward on fourth down, things like that. But as an offensive mind, he's unbelievable. He's incredible at sequencing his plays. Every single play that he calls, he knows what he's going to call two and three plays from now. He's an incredible at setting you up for one thing and then doing the complete opposite when you cannot see it coming, totally blindsiding you and getting guys wide open. I've seen a lot of coaches in San Francisco. I'm 37 years old. I've been a Niner fan my whole life. I'm telling you, this guy is one of the best offensive minds that San Francisco has ever had. Does it make him perfect? No. Like I said, he's got a lot of game management issues. But if we're strictly talking X's and O's, He's up there with anybody. So in terms of IQ and understanding football, you'd put him up there with Belichick and guys like that. Well, see, I think what makes Belichick so good and so successful is that he realized that more games are lost than won. And if he can just manage situations, he can win a lot of games because most of the other people screw it up. And a perfect example of that is the end of the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. Time is ticking off the clock. Seattle is threatening to score, right? Everyone's like, Bill, are you going to call timeout? What are we going to do? We've got to call timeout so we have time to go try and go down the field. But he just looks over at the Seahawks sideline, and he sees that they're confused, that they don't have their stuff together, that something is not quite right. Now, a lot of coaches might have just, you know, call timeout right away, follow the, the, the book, so to speak and done that. But Belichick is a master of situational football. He looked over and saw the confusion and realized, if I call a timeout, I'm helping the Seahawks. I'm making it easier for them. He didn't call the timeout. The Seahawks didn't react to the package the Patriots had in the game, and ultimately we know how it turned out. So Belichick is a little different than those other guys. What? So what are your beasts with Shanahan as just a head coach? Uh, he's terrible at game management. First of all, he's way too conservative. He loves to punt on fourth and short. He can't get Mitch Wisnowski out onto the field fast enough. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to realize that it's, it's 2022 now. It's not 1980, you know, when he was with his dad growing up. Like, it's, it's a different league now. Fourth down is not a punt only down. You are helping the other team a lot of times if you punt on fourth and short. He consistently doesn't do it. In fact, all the coaches in the NFC West are way too conservative. So that is my biggest bugaboo with him. And also, just some of the roster decisions. There was a whole controversy with Brandon Ayuk at the beginning of the year. He basically ignored Brandon Ayuk for the first, like, six games of the year because reasons. (laughs) Still not really clear why. And then all of a sudden, hey, lo and behold, they start throwing Brandon Ayuk after the bye week. It turns out he's really freaking good. And so he's quick to put people in his doghouse. And once you get into the doghouse, it's very, very difficult to get out. 
uh, Mike McDaniels, he was their OC last year. I think he's like the run game coordinator, something like that. Now the head coach for the Dolphins. How good do you think he's going to be there? Well, again, so like this kind of goes back to the Shanahan thing. If we're just talking X's and O's, he's very, very good. I talked to Joe Staley, former 49ers offensive lineman. He, the way he described it was basically Kyle Shanahan is really good at putting the jigsaw puzzle together in terms of an offensive game plan, but Mike McDaniel is the guy that paints the picture on the puzzle. And so to lose that obviously is a big loss, but that doesn't speak to the things that other things we were talking about with Kyle Shanahan, right? The game management, the roster management decisions. We don't know how Mike McDaniel is going to be with that. He could be great. I'm not saying he won't be. I'm just saying we don't know. And the example that I always tell is when Tony Dungy became the head coach of the Buccaneers back in the day, he didn't realize how different the two jobs were between coordinator and head coach. So he's a head coach with the Buccaneers. He's in his office one day. He's trying to, you know, work on the game plan and figure things out. And all of a sudden, somebody knocks on his door and says, hey, coach, what hotel do you want the team to stay at on the road this week? And he goes, well, I don't know. I don't care. What are you asking me for? And the guy looks at him and goes, because you're the head coach. It's just, it's a different job. It's not the same as being in a dark room all week trying to come up with a good game plan. And so the only way to know if Mike McDaniel is going to be good at that job is to see him in that job. And we won't obviously be able to do that until the season starts in the fall. DeMarco Ryan, what's his potential as an NFL coach, NFL head coach? Supposedly, he has tremendous potential as an NFL head coach. Kyle Shanahan said D'Amico Ryan could be a head coach before he was even a defensive coordinator, which kind of blew me away because I don't think anybody at that point was considering that. But from everything everyone says about him, he's going to be a great head coach. I can tell you he's a great defensive coordinator. I actually think he's a better defensive coordinator than Robert Sala. Uh, and Robert Sala was a very good defensive coordinator. So... From that perspective, D'Amico Ryan is very good. From a management perspective, again, I don't know, but he also was a former player in the league, so I think that helps. I think that gives him extra credibility with guys when he does have to go in front of a team and command a room. So we'll see on D'Amico Ryan, but so far, everything everybody says is great. Why did you like uh, Ryan better as a DC than uh, Robert Sala? I thought that D'Amico Ryan was much more aggressive as a defensive coordinator, and he was much more creative. Robert Sala was very much kind of like, hey, this is what we do. You can't stop it. I know how to put our players in the best situation to maximize their skill, which is fine. But D'Amico Ryans is very much like, hey, we can still do all that. And, oh, by the way, on third down, I'm going to dial up some sort of crazy blitz and confuse the hell out of you. And so I just I like that as a defensive coordinator because I think there are times when you do need to put pressure on the offense. You can't always sit back and try and react to what the offense is doing. I think D'Amico Ryan did that way less than Robert Sala did. Do you? How do you think Robert Sala is gonna finish his career with the Jets? Like, how do you think Robert Sala is gonna do with the Jets? Obviously, this year wasn't very good. Do you think the arrow is gonna be pointing upward, or it can go that kind of downhill for him there? I think we still have to figure that out. Um, my kind of philosophy is: I never judge a head coach in the first year, no matter how bad it is, because you can't. You're not getting a new head coaching job most of the time unless you're taking over a bad team. And so it's going to take more than one year to turn the roster over to get enough good players, players that you think fit what you want to do. You can't get all the guys you're going to need in one offseason. So I know at times it looked pretty bad last year, I agree. But I also think that Zach Wilson looked better as the year went on. I think he got better towards the end of the season. 
I think their defense wasn't terrible, and I think that they got put into a lot of bad positions because of the struggles of the offense. So I think they might have looked worse than they actually are. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, let's say, about the Jets. So you said you try not to judge coaches off their first year. So did that rule apply for Urban, too? Urban Meyer? No, yeah. I thought Urban Meyer was going to be a disaster from the beginning. <laughs> so nothing that happened shocked you? <laughs> no, not at all. Urban Meyer is a garbage human being. And I'm not afraid to say that. Just look at his history. Whether it was Florida, whether it was Ohio State, Urban Meyer is not a good person. He's not a real leader. He never holds himself accountable for anything. It was always destined to be a disaster for Urban Meyer in the NFL because it's, it's different. In college, you're the king, right? You are the king. You are untouchable. Your word is the law. In the pros, players don't have that same amount of respect for you. Players don't give a crap about that. And they know if you're fake right away. They can see right through you. You're not dealing with kids anymore. You're dealing with men. And Urban Meyer is a terrible person. He is not a very good man, and he was not a good NFL coach. Debo Samuel, how special was this season? They kind of, I think Shanahan and Debo, they kind of unlocked this thing where they started using him in all these different roles, and he really had so much success coming out the backfield, doing all that stuff. So how special of a season do you think this was for him? I think it was a season like we've rarely seen in the history of the NFL. I, I don't think that that was the plan. I don't think that Kyle Shanahan was sitting around being like, you know what, let's use Debo Samuel at a running back this year. The Niners had so many injuries at that position, they needed some, some way to get explosive plays. And so the way they did that was out of necessity. They were like, well, Debo's a freaking human wrecking ball. How about we just hand it to him? Then we don't have to worry about Jimmy Garoppolo's crappy throws or our offensive line protection. We just hand it to Debo and let him run. And lo and behold, it worked. He was incredible. Where do you think Debo ranks in terms of wide receivers in the NFL? That's tough. That's a tough question. Um, I when I when I do these rankings, I do try and factor in more than just the one year that we've seen because we've seen receivers like Brandon Lloyd led the league in yards one year. And if you're wondering who the hell Brandon Lloyd is, it's exactly my point. Right? Like, for the Bronx. <laughs> yeah, we've seen guys have good seasons, so I, I would say he's top five for sure. Um, I don't know where I would put him in that top five, probably closer to the bottom than the top, probably four or five. But, I mean, even if he, if you take out the, the running stuff, the rushing yards, he's still at 1,400 yards this year. So I, I think that next year he's not going to do as much out of the backfield, but he still can be an incredibly productive receiver. Do you think that Shanahan and – do you think there's like a blueprint now that other teams are going to follow? Do you like the Bengals – is Zach Taylor sitting home being like, okay, we have to use Jamar, how kind of like the 49ers use Debo this year with other playmakers around the league? No, I don't think so, because you can't just throw any wide receiver back there and have them do it. Debo Samuel is an incredibly instinctive runner with the ball in his hand. And he's not only is he instinctive, he's explosive. Once he sees where he wants to go, he hits it, and he hits it hard and fast. So as much as other teams would like to think that they can just throw somebody back there, it's not the same thing at all. How good of a running back could Debo Samuel be if he played running back full-time? I think he could be upper half of the league, for sure. Um, 100%. I have no doubt in my mind about that, especially when you factor in what he'd be able to do as a receiver. 
Kiefer out of the backfield, obviously. That combination, he would be one of the best running backs in the league. Lastly, I want to ask you this. If the 49ers draft Mac Jones at number three and Mac Jones starts over Jimmy Garoppolo, does their season end differently? Probably not, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I, assuming that Mac started the whole year, like I, I think that they could probably get to the same thing. I don't think there was one game where I was like, damn, thank God we had Jimmy Garoppolo that game or we never would have won. So I think it would have been pretty comparable, to be honest with you. And if they had stayed at 12 and drafted Mac Jones, I don't think that many 49er fans would have had a problem with that either. It was once you trade up the three and the price you paid to get there that made drafting Mac Jones at three impossible for the 49ers. That's reasonable. I can see it. Yeah, because obviously the potential with Trey, I mean, it's just, you know, so eye-popping when you look at him. You're like, we have to get this guy here because he's going to be the guy. Mac doesn't obviously, he doesn't have those physical traits that just pop out to you. Exactly, and that's when you when you're at three and you're taking a quarterback, he better have those physical traits. Otherwise, why are you taking this guy so high? Rob, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Mr. Zach on the show to talk about the All-NBA 75-team list. Cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports, I'm going to have Mr. Zach with us, and we are going to get into some guys who he thinks should have made the cut for the All NBA 75 team. Uh, the list was unveiled at the beginning of the year uh, for the All Star Weekend. The NBA officially honored those individuals uh, before the All Star Game on uh, Sunday when the NBA All Star Game was played. So, Mr. Zach's going to give some guys that he thought should have made the cut. So, I'm going to give you the floor. Well, of the active players, I think Clay Thompson could be considered. Dwight uh, Howard had a strong career. And uh, he might have could have been considered. But as far as the older players, well, you have Dennis Johnson, who I always thought was a top-notch player. And uh, he could guard Matthew Johnson. Uh, he was the most outstanding player in that series of Seattle against the Washington Bullets back in the late 70s. Um, he, was a, he was a late draft pick out of Pepperdine College, and he had a great career. The Celtics brought him over to Guy Magic, and um, they, they beat the Lakers one time out of three tries. Um, I just thought he, Paul Pond, he was just one of the better defenders and ball players in NBA history, underappreciated. Um, 
Adrian Dantley could score all day long. He was a numerous time scoring champion. Um, he was a rookie of the year. Uh, he had numerous all-star games. He's a college All-American at Notre Dame. He was a, a, a 76 Olympian. And uh, Adrian Dantley could have been on the list. But now King, I think his off-the-court issues hurt him. Joe Dumas, he could have been on the bubble. <laughs> but one thing for sure, he never made the general manager list because he, he chose, uh, he skipped, he's, he didn't he didn't draft Carmelo or Dwayne Wade. He drafted that other guy, Darko Miller. <laughs> so I got to check him off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Tony Parker was just an outstanding point guard. Um, his individual numbers are as solid. But, man, he's a five-time champion. Um, he can slide in that list. Manager Ginobili, even though he's the sixth man, he's a great possibility for his list. And in 25 years, they'll have a 100-man team, a 100-year team. I probably won't be around to see it. You probably will. And you can say, well, damn, he was right. Luther made it, Kyrie made it, and Clay Thompson made it. (laughs) 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 Hey, man, hey. In 25 years, I'll be 87 years old, man. If you call me up, man, I'll be glad to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) If you can find me up in heaven, man, just call me up. (laughs) Man, just call me up in heaven, man. I'll I'll gladly talk to you, man. Make sure you save this, man. Make sure you save this. But those are those are a number of guys that could have been on this list or could be on the future list. Now, if we go down the line, you know, guys like John Morant, Zion Williamson, Hey, maybe Brownie James Jr. Who knows? But but these 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 lists and these and these and these um, individual accolades for these players, they're well deserved. They 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 put in hard work. Um, the voters, the voters, the voters tend to forget about the old players. I mean. We got better TVs now. They got better shoes now. We got more sports in the games now. We, we, we see basketball every night. We're flooded with sports. So we get, we, we, we get to witness more of these things. Um, we were cheated out of that in the earlier days. You know, we had games on maybe Sunday or, or maybe on a Saturday. But during the week, we didn't get basketball. We watched regular sheet shows on during the week until ESPN came around. So we didn't get to see that ball like that. Um, so uh, we got a lot of information from news that have so much access to so much information. But um, up and coming stars, I can name Kyrie, Luca, Clay Thompson, and 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 the list and the list will continue. Um, 
and, and, and it will get bigger. But those those are some of the guys that I felt like were on the bubble of, but you only got 75 places available. And um, the next time they come out with a team like this, I would like, it, I, I would like them to break it down into decades. The 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 210s, the two. And then it'll be more fair to everybody. Because soon, Daryl, and, and this is just a fact of life, these top 50 players is going to be fading away, man. And people who witness them play are going to be fading away. So if you can get some good basketball stories, some good football stories, some good historical information, you better get it while you can. Now we can record these things and save them for later. But, you know, the guys who saw Bill Russell play, they're not, they're not going to be around much longer. The guys who saw Will play, they all faded out. You know, we're like the new seniors coming up now, my generation. The guys who watch those guys play, they're going to be gone. So you got to get all the information while you can. Um, my dad was my sports my sports go to guy, and uh, my dad passed this this two months ago. And uh, all these a lot of this information that I got, I got it from him, man. And uh, I, I was blessed to be able to do that. So I'll pass that on to you, and you can pass that on to your next generation. But we can't. With the guys who laid the groundwork for these um, these sports, the guys who gave their blood, sweat, and tears for little or no money. We can't just throw them away and discard their records and their history. The only thing that I don't agree with was the racial differences back in the day and when certain guys couldn't play because of the color of their skin. Those records are, those records are to be appreciated by maybe their family members or whatever, but they didn't play against the best. A lot of the best players were cheated out of opportunities because of that. But that, that's another topic for another day. Well said. Well said. So, I quickly want to get your opinion on this now. James Harden played his first game for the Philadelphia 76ers. What did you think of that? Oh, he's, he's, just, he's, a, he's just a talented ball player, man. And, uh, if his focus is on basketball, if he's physically fit, sky's the limit. I don't know about the bench in Philadelphia, but uh, that's a dynamic one-two combination. That um, James Hines dynamic one-two combination. I have to salute him because he gave effort on defense and he became a two-way player today. He put his hands on loose balls. He had a couple steals. He had a couple deflections. He was looking. He was, he, his court vision was up today. He was looking around the court, getting his teammates involved. And when he started, when he started going a little one-on-one too much, Doc Rivers pulled him out, let him watch the game a little while. So Maxie and them other guys can get loose. Doc Rivers is probably the right coach for this situation. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. 
how this plays out. But meanwhile, I, I, I love to get a ticket. I like to I like to go down to that Philly gym and see them play in person. Maybe I might try it. But I think I, I, I think um, they gave up they gave up uh, some decent players to get James Harden. Um, pressure's on Daryl Morey to win. He gave up some good players. Uh, is he going to even be able to resign some of his other guys? You know, because everybody's going to want their money. So it's 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 it's, it's win now. The window the window for Philadelphia winning championship is two to three years. After that, hiring is going to start fading. So they got to win now. Because he always comes to camp camp out of shape. See, at his age now, he can't keep coming to camp out of shape, pulling the hamstring, pulling this, pulling that. He, he can't do that. He got to dedicate himself to basketball or he will be ringless in his career. Ringless. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm, used, I'm making it a word. <laughs> How do Harden and Embiid work together? Screen and roll, pick and roll, um, uh, high screen off the elbow, high screen, uh, high screen off the wing. He rolled, he knows how to roll very well to the hoop, and 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 uh, Harden has a great court vision. He's good. He's a good lob passer, and um, he's left-handed, which is easy. It would, what makes it even easier for him to pass to off that ball like that? Because when he comes off the pick, man, he when he comes off the pick, he can either drop it with the left or he can throw it behind the back. He has a variety of ways he can get that pass in, and uh, it's it's gonna be nice to watch. It's gonna be nice to watch. But uh, hey, when when when. When, when when he comes down court and he hit, and he passes the ball to Green in the corner and and Green misses Green was Green is injured I think he didn't play today when he missed three or four in a row James Harden gonna keep giving him the ball <laughs> that's what I'm waiting to see but uh two man tandem combo basketball those those two gonna be nice to watch. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I like. I like. I like to see the matchup against Brooklyn. Uh, I don't think guy. I, I don't think Harden can guide Kyrie. Oh, you don't think Harden can? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Well, I would assume they wouldn't be putting Harden on Kyrie in the playoffs. Nah, they better not. They better not. That's heard, probably going to be Thibault's job. I heard, I, heard they was playing, I heard they was going at it in practice, and, and, and Kyrie was giving him the business. <laughs> I heard that, too. He called him batting out of shape and said he was wild. Yeah, yeah, he was giving him the business, you know. But, uh, you know, that's, that's enough. That's, that, that's, that's, that's things that you, 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 you should didn't hear about, you know, things coming out of practice. Those things I've usually kept behind closed doors, but it, that turned into a soap opera, and, uh, if they don't, if they don't change this vaccine deal, you know, I don't think I don't think it was fair of Kyrie, even though what he believed, he didn't he didn't sacrifice for his team going to end. He probably not going to win. 
How do you think Ben if, Simmons fits? If they don't change the vaccination rule, they will not win. No way he can just play home games. And, <laughs> and, um, I mean, road games and expect them to win. I think New York City is actually going to be changing that relatively soon, but I do want your quick opinion on this. How does Ben Simmons fit in with the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, you have to call me. You have to call me up in a week or two and, and, let, and let me and let me review this because I can't make a prediction on him because it's, he, he's 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 uh I'm basically powerless against uh the, the Ben Simmons deal because I don't know what he's gonna bring. I don't know what he's gonna bring. Um, is he secretly working on his outside shot? I mean, is he uh working on his free throws? I mean. What did he do to improve his game? Or is he going to choke in the end like he's been doing? I don't know. Ben Simmons don't Ben Simmons don't scare me at all. He got to, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guys he got to prove it to because he, he don't scare me at all. You know, if he's, scared, if he's still scared to shoot the ball and scared to be a, a productive on offense, it's like, it's still like playing four on five. Because, because, First of all, when Kyrie gets the ball, he's not giving it to Ben Simmons anyway. <laughs> what is he going to do when Kyrie gets the ball? Is he going to cut to the hoop or is he just going to stand there? Because if he's just standing there, he's not a threat at all. And Kyrie only passes the ball when he's in trouble. And you know that. He'll never lead the league in assists. That's for damn sure. <laughs> He only passed the ball when he's in trouble, you know. And kind of like Harden was at Houston. Harden would dribble the 24-second clock down to three, then give somebody the ball, <laughs> and they're supposed to shoot it like a damn hot potato, you know. <laughs> and, and, that ruins, and that ruins your rhythm when a person dribbles the clock out and gives you the ball to shoot when it's only two seconds on the clock. That brings your stats down. That brings your percentage numbers down, and that ruins your effectiveness. So we'll wait and see. And Ben Simmons, I don't, I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't make a prediction on him because I don't know. He is I'm powerless about what about his game because I don't know what he's going to do. But if he doesn't bring no offense to the table, it's going to be the same results. Do you think they'd be better off if they put Ben at point guard and that Kyrie play off guard? To Kyrie get pissed off about? I don't know. It's, it's, he's a diva. We have to see. Or you don't think that will? I mean, because Kyrie can play off guard. Easily, easily, easily. But he also gonna be a diva, and we gonna see. You know, we gonna see. If Ben Simmons sit too long, they gonna start looking at him side eye too. He get all the way to the hoop and won't shoot the ball. We'll see, we'll see. But uh, he's a good, he's a good perimeter defensive uh, defensive player. He has great wingspan. He runs a hell of a fast break. But what do they do with offense and the half court offense? Do they move him in forward, or or does they or does he work on any low post moves? What is he, what is he doing to change his game? We'll have to see. I can't. I don't know what I don't know what he got in his bag of tricks. Is he working on his low post move? Is he working on his outside shot? I mean, he has plenty of time to work on these things. So, just call me in a couple weeks. I'll tell you about Ben Simmons. And lastly, Chris Paul got hurt. The Suns are going to be without him, I think, all the way up until the postseason starts. How do the Suns stay afloat without Chris Paul? Uh, well, actually, um, 
this gives uh, uh, the left-hand guard. What's the left-hand guard? Cameron uh, Payne. And also Peyton. They got Peyton also, right? Yes. Give those guys a chance to, to um, polish their games. You know, and uh, unfortunately, we, 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 we sang this song. We've heard this song by Chris Paul year in and year out. Never can finish the full season, man. And uh, shit, I don't know if he. I, maybe he should start the season late. Maybe he should wait to. Maybe he shouldn't even. Maybe he should wait to 10, 15 games in and come out the season because he never can play a full season. It's a liability, man. Playoff come, hamstring, quad, shoulder. Every year is something, man. He's playing. He, I mean, he's he is playing some high level basketball. But he all, he's all, I mean, I can't blame no one for being injured, but it's just like a curse. Uh, For the development of the team, it's going to be better. Now, we just have to see how he rolls. Because those two guys, those those two guys will improve their game. And also, Booker will improve his court vision and he will improve his ball handling skills and he improve his playmaking skills because he has to be more versatile than just a scorer now. You understand? Yes. Yep, Booker can be effective in other areas now to make his game more complete. So, hey, that's that's about all. That's a, that's that's as, that's as fair an assessment as I can give of that team. Well, thank you for calling the pod, man. I appreciate it. Oh man, it's been slow lately, but uh, March Madness is coming up, and I'm quite sure we'll be talking soon. Yes, we will be. Definitely March Madness is coming up. And it's anybody's tournament. There is no favor to me right now. It is anybody's tournament. I just saw Gonzaga lose yesterday to St. Mary's. Also, shout out to, uh, shout out to Madai College, Buffalo, New York. They made the Division Three March Madness. Shout out to the Mavericks. Yeah, yeah. My nephew played for him. Okay. Division, Division three, March Madness, Madai College, Buffalo, New York. <laughs> yeah, I gave a little plug there. They find out their seat in this week. Okay. I, I watch basketball, high school, college, little kids, anything. I, I, I just watch ball. Thanks for having me on, man. Um, Look forward to talking to you soon. Oh, no problem. I can't wait. All right. You and Big Ray Man. We got the football draft coming up. There's a lot of things about to go on. Yes, there is. A lot of things. Once again, though, I do want to say thank you. I really do appreciate it. All right. And once again, I want to thank Rob Guerrero and Mr. Zach for coming on the show. I really appreciate both of them spending some time out of their busy schedules to come on and talk some football and basketball respectively. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 399th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.